0: Praise the Lord, everybody. How many of you happy to be in church on a Wednesday night? My, 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 my. How many of you are really happy to be in church on a Wednesday night? Haven't we been having some church services around here? I tell you, every Sunday you can be seated. Every Sunday night, whenever I leave here on Wednesday morning, I got church injuries. (laughs) Hamstrings pulled, you know, and back hurting and sore, but that's a good thing, right? It's exciting to see, you know, what's going on here at Bethlehem Church, and um, first of all, I want to give honor to our pastor. He's out of town tonight, and give honor to our bishop, Bishop Wilson. I appreciate his friendship and the words he's spoken into my wife and I's lives, but um, I have a um, A little thing that I want to give out tonight, uh, a little word that God has given me and I hope that um, it'll be beneficial for each and every one of you but the first thing I want to talk about is the potential. How many of you know that in this room there is tons of potential? That's right. There is tons of potential. Uh, how many feels like that you've already reached the top of your potential? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. Brother Patton's trying to mess with you a little bit, okay? <laughs> you have not reached everything that you can be. We're, stri- we're to, There's no, not, no one perfect, no not one, but we're supposed to strive for perfection even as he is perfect, right? But there's tons of... Uh, Potential in the church And potential can be converted To power And I believe that this afternoon This evening um, You know Brother Vasquez walked up to me Sunday night in the prayer room I wasn't sure whether he asked me to speak tonight or not Uh, He said just um, You can can speak on any topic you want Just don't say anything bad about me So I want to tell you We have the best pastor in Pentecost Who believes that Yes. but I'm thrilled to see the ministry uh, here at the church in the last uh, since we've been here and I know it was starting much earlier 75 years of ministry but it's good to see you know a thriving church and the ministry moving forward it excites me to see these young men fired up to have a ministers and training class and they're wanting to do something for the lord because you know that's what it's all about if i was the only one that was ever going to speak or if i was the only one that was ever going to sing it would be a really boring church you know ministry in itself is a mixture of everybody chipping in and everybody being happy for their neighbor Because true ministry, if we're going to reach the world, it can't be done by one person. The Pope can't win everybody. I don't think he's won anyone. But together, it's something about shared ministry. And uh, I have spent the last probably 15 years of my life, maybe I guess it'd be 20 years now, uh, learning about shared ministry and um, learning that it takes a team takes a team all the way from the parking lot attendance to the people doing guest follow up to those that are teaching Sunday school classes and um, but there's more to just a shout in a church I said there's more than just a shout to a church it's great to have the, the shout but discipleship is a must I mean knows that we have to be disciples um even the oldest among us, we need to be disciples. There's things that we can learn on a Wednesday night that is taught to us, even if it's taught to us by a teenager, you can still learn from a teenager. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, you can still learn. You're never too old. Uh, I had a 15-year-old walk into my store one day and um, he closed the tab and then uh, it was the wrong tab and he hit Control-Alt-T and the tab opened back up and I said, whoa, whoa, what did you do? He said, well, everybody knows that. I said, no, they don't. Let me write this down. You can be taught, and it doesn't matter how old you are. How many knows what we need to be defenders of the faith? The older I get, the more I recognize that the things that were instilled to me as a young man that maybe I did not want to hear, was good for me to hear. The scriptures that I learned that I thought at that time was uh, maybe a chore to do, but I've learned that over a period of time that I must be a defender of the faith. You put the scripture up, First Peter three and fifteen. I'm going to uh, go through a couple of these uh, scriptures, but in First Peter three fifteen, it says, "But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always." Everybody say always. always. That means at any time. You never know in ministry when it's going to be you. Be ready at any time. Be ready always to give an answer to every man. Now, that didn't say a church member. I said every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you and meekness and fear. With meekness and fear. So when someone approaches you on the job, you're supposed to be able to look at them and when they ask you about, What is it that you believe? Where do you go to church? Well, why do you believe this? You should be able to tell them about the Godhead. You should be able to tell them what happened in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 19. You should be able to explain to them on how to receive the Holy Ghost. How many of you believe that? You got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you have to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And it's a promise and a gift. And if you're baptized and you truly repent, you're going, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But uh, there, there are some things when we talk about discipleship, we must realize discipleship doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes discipleship takes time. The word of which we get on Sunday morning and Sunday night But specifically to the church body on on Wednesday nights by our pastor, that is the word that is being put into us so that we can go back and be defenders and protector of the faith in our own communities, in our own workplaces, in our businesses, in our jobs and at our schools and what have you. But uh, I can remember for the last, uh, I guess, 15 years of being a pastor's son and... And uh, I went to a large church in Memphis, uh, many of y'all may know of it, and I went there, they were running probably five or 600 at the time, and no one knew who I was, and I didn't want to tell nobody who I was, but I sat on the pew and I listened, and I got 13 to 14 years of the word inputted, uh, inputted into my spirit, and at that time, you know, I didn't understand a lot of the times, there was 54 ministers in our church. Now, if you divide that, how often you got to preach, uh, in 13 years, I think I have preached one time. But that was okay, because God was preparing me. And God always has a plan. No matter where, who you are and what you may have done in your life, God has a plan for you. And that's really what I want to talk about, uh, specifically tonight, about the, the process of God's plan for you and for me. You see, um, there's a cycle that God has instituted both in the natural and the spiritual. The rain comes down and waters the earth. And what happens when it waters the earth? The sun comes out and creates steam. And then steam, what happens to steam? It forms the clouds and then the clouds returns the rain. It is a cycle. There is seasons of of the winter and the fall and the spring and the summer. But then again, the seed goes into the ground and it sprouts and it buds. It produces fruit. And then what happens when the fruit is, is laid down on the ground? It withers. It dies and becomes seed. So there's always going to be cycles of growth. And this doesn't doesn't, um, change just because it's in the natural. A lot of things that God has placed in the natural, God has put into the spiritual world. For example, in in our bodies, we have cells. Cells divide, do they not? What is the kingdom of God meant to do? It is meant to divide one gets saved and gets filled with the Holy Ghost and they're supposed to go ye therefore and be a witness unto me. And then they're supposed to bring someone else into the kingdom of God and one has become two. And then two becomes four and that's how church growth is supposed to be. And God's kingdom is no different in the natural, in the spiritual than it is in the natural. Some may say, well, Brother Patton, I can't blindly go into a season. It must be planned out. Let's think about that statement about blindly going into a season. We all go into seasons blind. For example, you enter into marriage. Do you really know who you married the day you married them? How many can say the day you got married that nothing has changed? You better not say it, okay? <laughs> you better not, okay? That's another trick question, okay? Move on from there, okay? Um, you sign a 30-year mortgage. Do you really know what's going to happen in the next 30 years? Do you know that you're going to have a job to pay that mortgage? So what is it that you have? You have plan, but what else you have? You have faith. You have faith that you're going to have the money to pay the mortgage. There's cycles in in our life, but we we blindly enter into season after season in the natural, trusting that it will just work out. I wonder why we can't trust that God is going to work it out in the spiritual. God's placed every person, under the sound of my voice, at Bethlehem Church for this season and for a purpose. How many of you believe that? He has finally knitted together a group of believers with unlimited potential that is untapped for this time, for revival right now. Some of you probably have been Sunday school teachers in the past, some of you are from previously, have attended other assemblies like myself. But regardless, we've all been put together for a purpose. You, if you believe and you buy into that God has a plan for your life, then you have to know that you're not just here on a coincidence, right? Think about it. God's put you here for a reason, a plan. There must be a time that you uh, become what's needed for the church. It's not for you, it's for the church. One of the stories that I love in the Bible, and uh, this is why I didn't give a long text, is found in Genesis 37. And it's 13 chapters long, so I don't, I don't plan for you to, to go there, but I want to talk a little bit about it. Um, I was having lunch today with a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, and we were driving down the road, and I had spent uh, Monday and Tuesday already scheduled to go to Nashville. So I returned late last night and had an alderman meeting and, and then to get up this morning for work and what have you and I was uh, kind of rushed and, you know, going through the motions and I had lunch. I had a friend of mine call me today and he said, Br- Brother Patton, you want to go to lunch? And sure, I'm always up for lunch, as you can tell. I don't miss many. But uh, we went to lunch and we started talking about he was raised his whole life in the church. And his brother was an uh, older brother, no different than him. And he is uh, a deacon or on the board of trustees for his church, uh, his local church. And, and he, he was, we were talking about his brother and about how that his brother always had a better job than he did. But his brother didn't serve the Lord like he knew he should. And he was always having issues with money, jobs, marriage, finances, Domestic problems always having issues, and it, it, as I had laid on my pillow last early yesterday morning, and God had spoke this into my spirit i I, I, I stopped right there and I said, you know what I think it is? Maybe this was uh, went right along with brother Vasquez's message on Sunday, but have you ever thought about this that maybe The prayers of your mother and father that he has been fighting all these years against the will of God in his life. The prayers have buoyed. They have have come up to God. And God has said, well, okay, I have a plan for him. So let me try to order him a little bit. And he twists him to the left. And he bucks against it. As Brother Vasquez talked about the oxen that had the, the, the sharp stick, and when he tries to go to the right, he creates pain for himself. It would be easier to accept the will of God and the plan of God in your life than to fight against the prayers of those who love you. He said, Brother Patton, I had never thought about that. Maybe this whole time, my mother, she used to pray. He told me today in the truck, he said, she used to pray that the Lord, whatever it takes, I want you to save my boy. So what he has done, he basically has fought against the plan and the process that God had for his life. In Genesis 37, we find the story of Joseph. And this is a story that speaks right to me. And Joseph was favored by his father. He was a um, he was the son, as the Bible says, he was the son of his old age, and so probably felt to be like a grandson. I, uh, there's a couple that uh, here that we could talk about having children in their older age, but you, he had ten sons, and then he had two by his favorite wife, and these were two sons that were favorite, and Joseph was a favorite son. He'd, uh, we, many of us know about his coat of many colors, and, and uh, he was given this coat, and this coat was given to him, and when it was given to him, the other brothers, they hated him because he had found favor with his dad. You didn't mess with Joseph if you were the big boys. And when you fought in little fights, and daddy always took Joseph's side because he was a favored son. And I wonder, did Jacob really have the same plan for Joseph that God did? Right. Think about the plan. Joseph had thought to himself, how am I going to work this up so that Joseph can inherit everything and so that Joseph can be the patriarch of the family and he can move this family forward and what do I need to do? Let me show him a little favor and they know that I love my, uh, his mama. And so there you find the hand of God, no different, moving and he's causing a little enmity and a little strife among the brothers. And the brothers are upset. The brothers are upset because he's favored. And so one day while the brothers are gone and they're gone out and they're doing their, their jobs out in the field, he says, let me send my Joseph to the, his brothers with some food. And so he sends Joseph out there with a message uh, from his dad. And when they see him from afar off, it says that they were upset. And they hated him. And they wanted to kill him. And they conspired to kill him. Joseph had had two dreams, if you remember. The first one was the sheaves of grain that bowed down to him. And the second one was that the stars and the sun and the moon had bowed down to him. And when he told these dreams, be careful of telling your dreams to someone that doesn't really love you. Be careful telling your dreams to someone that doesn't care anything about you. But when he told them to his brothers, instead of being happy because someone in their, in their team or you know, someone on the, in their camp is going to be elevated in the future that God had given him a vision or a dream, your young men shall dream, have visions, your old men shall have dreams. Instead of being content that Joseph was going somewhere, they were upset and they were bound and determined that we're going to show him. And when he come out, when he come and they saw him afar off, they started conspiring to kill him. So watch the cycle in Joseph's life. The Bible says that Joseph was, was put into an empty pit that had no water. So he was thrown down. And if you read a little bit further, you find out that the brothers sat down to eat. Yeah. Joseph, in no doubt, is sitting there parched of thirst. And he's wanting to, smelling what's going on above him and he's he's thinking they're messing with him. You know, who would do anything like what they were conspiring to do? He he truly wouldn't believe them. So he started saying, hey guys, hey, a little water down here would be nice. You just wait until daddy hears what y'all done to me. You just wait, y'all gonna get a whooping with the cane." that is going to take care of you. I know what's going to happen to you. No doubt he's tattled on them many, many times before. You're going to get it. Y'all been messing with me. And they left him down there and they were conspiring to kill him and, and uh, the Bible says that Judah actually wanted to kind of save him a little bit and so he he come up with a plan. The Ishmaelites are coming along. Let's sell Joseph. Think about the plan that Jacob had for Joseph. You think it included Jacob, Joseph walking behind a camel, being led in chains, sold by the people that he thought that loved him, the people that had turned on him, the people that he thought that never would do anything like from that. These were the kids that had babysit him as teenagers. These were kids that had looked after him and taught him how to hunt and how to fish. And these guys had just sold him into slavery. Standing on a block, being sold for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites. These boys had devised a hatch, and they fought in their infinite wisdom that they were getting rid of a problem. We'll take the plan of God and we'll change that plan. We'll make it the plan, our plan. We'll do the inheriting. We'll cut Joseph out of the will of God. But then you find that Joseph somehow finds favor with God again. And he's sold to an to a officer in the army, Potiphar. And in Potiphar's house, the Bible says that Potiphar realized that God was with him. That he had favor from God. And the Bible says that once again, Joseph has found favor with God. He thought, oh my goodness, I'm being sold into slavery. I'll probably be working with bricks, and I'll probably be doing all this manual labor. But he gets put into a cush job. He was given everything. If you turn to that scripture, it actually says that um, in Genesis... um, uh, Genesis 39 and 4. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house. And all that he had, he put in his hand. Let me tell you what the guy went from doing. He, he went from being just daddy's favorite and being a, a, just a royal lad that wasn't, didn't have to do any work. He never had to cut the grass, Brother Craig. He never had to weed eat. He didn't have to do any of that. We had 10 brothers that did that. But it went from that to a house. And God had, had to orchestrate it. And every time, God just moved him just a little bit further into the plan, into the purpose of his, of his life. It was the will of God being manifested even though that he had gone down a path that he thought. That when he was sold, it couldn't get any worse. But here he is. He's now can write, he has, if you would, the checkbook of the house. If you needed to buy something or sell something, you had to come to Joseph. He bought and sold everything in the house, and everything that he had belonged that was in the hand of Joseph. But once again, that's not his destiny. That is not the will of God just so that he can be a head of a household or to be the head of a business. Somehow or another, God has to get him to the perfect place in his life. And so what happens? He has a close person in the house, the one person that Potiphar would believe over anybody. There was only one person that Potiphar would believe, and that was his wife. And when she made an accusation against him, of attempted rape, along with calling him a liar. No doubt that same young lad that had stood just months before at the edge of a pit and had begged. The Bible said that in the pit that his brother later on in Genesis 42 and 21, they said, we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore is the distress come upon him. So he's in the pit. He has his whole soul is in anguish over what his brothers have done. And now he finds himself in the same situation. Lied on. Accusations meant, uh, accosted him. He knew it wasn't true. And so once again, you find him begging for his, begging for his master getting on his hands and knees and says, you know I wouldn't do anything like that. You know I'm innocent. She's she's just making false accusation against me. But God has his hand on Joseph's life. He's turning Joseph slowly toward a destiny that we originally called. It was a destiny that Jacob didn't prepare for Joseph. But nonetheless, it was a destiny. I wonder how many people you have felt like that things start going well and then you wonder why it feels like God has abandoned you. Could it be that God has not abandoned you? Could it be that what God has done has placed his hand upon you and he has slowly positioned you for a plan for your life and for a process to bring you to your fulfillment of the destiny that God wants for you? And I imagine now Joseph, as he makes his way, of uh, he probably has murder in his heart. He's upset. He's lumping. He f- learns what it feels to be hated. The same ways his brothers felt about him, he now feels about this woman. All right. Upset. I need to get even with that. If I ever get a chance, I'm going to get even. Oh. But now Joseph, he finds himself in prison. But I want to say right here is slowly where Joseph comes to terms that he has the favor of God on his life. He has now been enlightened that there must be something going on. It seems like I was doing well with my daddy. And then they tried to kill me. Then I went to Potiphar's house and I was doing well there and I was honored and respected. And now I've been abased and I've been brought low. Everybody believes that I'm a liar. Everybody believes I'm this. And God is slowly turning everything that he thinks is bad, he's turning it for his good. Could it be that's what he does sometimes in our lives? And we don't even recognize it. We think it, we give credit to the devil when maybe it is God that is steering us. He finds himself in a prison. Probably despondent. The acts that he's been told that he has committed is, it isn't good to be repeated. But he knows that he has potential. Because see, now he knows he can run a business. And he knows he can run a house and he knows he has favor with God. He had to be in the house so that he could get discipleship on how to run an organization. You can't run you can't run Egypt until you can run a town. You can't run a town till you can run a house. There's a process for everything. You can't be elevated to the stage while you're being becoming what you need to be to get to the stage. He now knows that the closest people to him are the ones that can harm him the most. That's tough. He knows how to act when he has success. God is instilling all of this at this time and it's called a discipleship or a process that God is putting Joseph through. The trial at Potiphar's house could have brought him down. And once again, he thinks that everything is going good. The the manager of the prison, he puts him, the keeper of the prison, puts him in charge of everything. He is no doubt in charge of everything, and, and everything is going good once again. But he's thinking to himself, God, you did not bring me this far to make me manager of a prison." Surely there has to be something. You know, I think back to the dream that I had, and I had a dream of some sheaves of grain, and I had a dream of some stars that were bowing down to me. Surely that had to mean something. As he sat there in prison, then it happened. Lo and behold, the baker had a dream, and he interpreted it. And he thought he had a friend and he said, when you get up there and you go to Pharaoh's house, make sure he knows about me. You're going to be right there. Speak some good words about him. Tell him that I'm innocent. Tell him I'm a man that needs to be restored. Tell him all this. He finds himself forgotten. Someone took credit for his dream and his interpretation. You ever had that happen to you? You ever had somebody take credit for something you did that they had nothing to do with. This is where Joseph finds himself. Up, down, up, down, good and bad, good and evil, all of this stuff. And and, and I want to to proclaim this to you, that God is slowly turning this young man into a leader. (laughs) He doesn't recognize for a long time, but God is moving and and twisting him to his destiny of what the purpose of Jacob was. God has put several people in this place tonight through a trial in your past. It's a trial, I believe, that once you go back home and you think about it, maybe it wasn't just really the bad things that that the devil happened to you. Maybe it was God that was performing his work and his process in your life. The direction you thought was necessary for the path of you is, is a season of learning, a season of humility, what not to do, how to treat others. You were just in a season of God preparing you when you thought, You were in a season of destiny. How do you get out of a season like this? It's possible. Hezekiah went through a a process in his life where he was told that he was going to die by a man of God, Isaiah. Whatever Isaiah said happened. What did he do? He besought the Lord. And he said, how how can the dead praise you? But I can. And God hearkened to him and he added 15 years to his life. There's a couple things I want you to take notice of here. Number one, don't defend yourself against critics, your critics. Do not defend yourself. The Bible says the battle is not yours, it's mine, right? It also says that there's no weapon that's formed against you that shall prosper. It also says, be still and know that I am God. He will reward those that interfere in the process that he has placed you in. Put Genesis 12 and 3 up. I will bless those that bless you. And I will curse those that curse you. In other words, if I'm in the process and I'm in the will of God, That doing something to me is doing something to him. (laughs) I I like that idea, okay? I I don't know what, but blessing me will get you blessed. Cursing me will get you cursed. I have favor with God because I'm in his process. I've been submitted to his will in my life, and in doing so, he's promised that he's going to take care of the end. The end is going to be glorious, and it's going to be for his glory. There's something about that that is exciting to know that my destiny is not tied to anyone. Yes. Favor isn't fair. You ever heard that saying? Favor isn't fair. When God places a hand of favor on your life, see, God don't have $100 bills to rain down from heaven. He can make it rain. But he has a special thing that he gives. Think about it. Give and it shall be given unto you. Will other men give to your bosom? Right? He uses people to give you favor. And when God, his currency is not dollar bills. It's not American. It's not the ruble. God's currency is favor. When you pray, I I, I, I challenge you, don't pray for your finances any longer. Pray for favor. Because when God gives you favor, finances will just go away. (laughs) When God gives you favor, a man cannot take favor off of you. Because it is who God chooses to give favor to. Money comes after. And if you've submitted to the process, the money won't go to your head. The success won't go to your head. It will go to the kingdom of God. Because that's the process and the plan and the will of God for you and for me. How many of you know that? Given it shall be given. There's a principle to that. I understand tithing is good, but in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, it said they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, breaking bread from house to house, and they went and sold all that they had. Woo! That's what it says. I didn't make that up. They went and sold all they had. They didn't sell their houses because they went to house to house, breaking bread. So you can keep the houses. But it sold all the extra stuff. And you find Ananias and Sapphira selling the land and bringing the money. But they're doing it for the kingdom of God. You find in the Old Testament, well, finally, the the ministry had to say, quit bringing anything. There's too much potential in these people right here. They're bringing way too much money. We got everything we need. That's what God wants to do right here tonight. God wants to give you favor, but he wants to make sure that you're submitted to the process because if you're submitted to the process, then the end is all going to work out and it's going to work out for the will of God. God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. In closing, the music would come if we have any. If we don't, that's fine. You wouldn't mind standing. when Pharaoh placed the the ring on his finger. And later, as Joseph's brethren stood before him, you remember the revenge he wanted? You remember the vengeance he had? It faded away. He realized that that wasn't even worth it. He said, you got to bring Benjamin. And I've wondered, Brother Wilson, as I looked into this story, why did Benjamin have to come? why did Benjamin have to come? And, and they, they took, he took the, the money that they had brought to him and he, he, bound, he said, take their money and put it back in the sacks of corn. Could it be that he thought that some of that money was the 20 pieces of silver that they had got for his, his slavery? Could it be the bondage money? And he said, no, you're not going to buy what God has used to twist me to. And he said, you got to bring Benjamin. And once again, we find Judah, the same one that was begging for, for Joseph's life, back on his hands and knees begging. You can't. you got to let Benjamin go home. His daddy is going to die if Benjamin don't come back. But Joseph has had a dream. And his dream says that there was 11 stars, not 10 When the 10 brothers come the first time, there was 10 of them. And he got to thinking, how do I get Benjamin here? I now see that the perfect will of God in my life has not been just edification of myself and promoting myself to a position in the kingdom of Egypt. The process has been to save Israel and to save my family for future generations. I come with the uplifting message. God has a plan for your life. The season that you're in, if you fully surrender your life to the process, God's going to put favor on you that no man can take off of you. The problems that you have are going to dissipate and in the end, you're going to come out like pure gold. How many of you want to submit yourself to the process tonight? I wonder if we could gather around for just a moment of prayer. A moment of dedication. I quit about five minutes early, so there'd be five minutes. Raise your hand and say, God, I submit myself to this process. This season that I am in, in this time in my life, God, I am submitted to the will of God. Whatever it may be, Lord, and I realize that sometimes the trials that I have are just meant to steer me in the right direction. Thank you, Jesus. God, we love you, Lord. I ask you right now, Lord, that every person under the sound of my voice, both here in the auditorium, those that are online, God, I ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would talk with them tonight. Encourage them. Lift them up. They're not in this by themselves. You have a guiding hand on their life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.
1: just keep holding on, keep pressing on. It may just be that it's God's plan that you go through this storm or whatever the issue may be that you're going through. God has a plan. And and He's he's doing it for our good. So just keep pressing on. Keep doing what you know to do is right. Keep being faithful to God. And you'll see, you'll find out if you're faithful to God, everything's going to work out in the end. Thank you again, Brother Patton. Lord, we thank you for this word, God. We pray that you apply it to our hearts, our minds, God. And we pray, Lord, that you help us to take it home with us. God, we pray, God, that you would bless this people, Lord God, your people. Bless them mightily, Lord Jesus, as they continue to worship you and, and continue to praise you and continue to serve you faithfully, Lord Jesus. And God, we give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.